Welcome to Beneath the Bell Tower. I am the Reverend Dr. John William Richter III, and I'll be your host today as we explore all things life and ministry here at St. John's in beautiful Coleman, Alabama. Well, thanks for tuning in for what I believe is installment number five, conversation number five of who we are as St. John's Evangelical Protestant Church. And you know, to get a handle on this, we've been taking each of the of the words in our name and unpacking those a little bit so we can get a better, again, a better understanding of who we are and who we're called to be. So in the last episode, I believe, we talked about what it means to be evangelical, uh, which in, in our sense, what we mean is emphasizing Christ and the gospel but also unity in Christ. And so, and prior to that, we talked about what it means to be Protestant, and we spoke briefly of Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation and, and those doctrines that are born out of the Reformation um, or were rediscovered in the Reformation, if you will. Doctrines on grace and faith. And then on the role of Scripture being the final authority uh, for our life and faith as Christians. Well, what happened, though, after the Reformation, it wasn't like they just were able to reform the church, but many once the floodgates were opened, many opinions then were flooded the market, if you will. And so the Protestant world would splinter. Prior to the Reformation, you had the Catholic Church and you had the Orthodox Church, the Orthodox Church primarily being in Eastern Europe and into the Middle East, and then the um, Catholic Church being in the Latin West, if you will. And so once the Protestant Reformation begins, then all of a sudden, over time, you're going to get denominations like Lutherans and Presbyterians, um, eventually Methodists. You're going to have Anglicans in there. Then you're going to get groups like just a, a whole host of Pentecostal denominations and, and uh, the splintering of the church. And so what we want to do is explore in this uh, episode a little more about what it means from our perspective to be a, an evangelical Protestant. If you recall, in an earlier episode, I, I said that you could describe St. John's as an ecumenically-minded, sacrament-celebrating, liturgically-oriented Church of the Reformation. Well, we've already talked about being ecumenically-minded, evangelical, and a Church of the Reformation. Um, but So what we want to focus on here is what does it mean to be sacrament-celebrating? And so what we need to do then is unpack what a sacrament is. Now, here's my disclaimer. We don't have time for a detailed theology. So all our goal here is to do is to plant some seeds through very broad description, hopefully not too off the, off the mark here, um, and then provide you a basis for what we think and believe. Certainly this is not a deep dive, but to give you, again, just some insight onto, and, into how we think as a church formally from a formal perspective. So the question, first question we have, of course, is what is a sacrament? It might be a term you're familiar with. It might not be. I don't know. But it, it's, it's a word that ultimately comes from the joining of two ancient Latin words. On the one hand, you've got a word that, come, that means sacred or holy, and another word that means mystery. So a sacrament is a sacred mystery. But what does that mean in actual usage and practicality? Well, again, let's turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, which we mentioned in our conversation on being evangelical, right? Um, uh, particularly question 66, if you uh, want to geek out on this and go get your catechism or go get a catechism. And the question uh, is there, is what is a sacrament? Okay, what is a sacrament? Question 66, Heidelberg Catechism, and this is how the catechism answers it. The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals instituted by God 
so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. Namely, that because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross, he graciously grants us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That is a beautiful response. But like so much else we're talking about in this podcast, it's a long response. And so again, when you can pull out your catechism, meditate on that, reflect on that, totally worth doing. I highly encourage you to do that. But let's see if we can simplify it for our conversation. The answer ends by talking about the sacrifice of Christ and how he graciously, through that sacrifice on the cross, how he graciously grants us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So the sacraments have to do with our salvation. But prior to that, the answer says uh, that they are um, signs and seals. It says they're signs and seals. So we could simplify the definition of a sacrament by saying uh, it's a visible sign and seal of an invisible grace. A sacrament is a visible sign and seal of an invisible grace. So when God gives us grace, we don't see the actual grace, do we? But what we do see is the effect of the grace through a changed life as we grow in the fruit of the Spirit or as we see a life transformed. But what we get in the gift of the sacrament is a physical expression of what God is doing and a means to... um, um, is it sort of signify, but also seal to us the gift of this salvation. So it's this physical expression of that. And so uh, we might ask next then, okay, if, if, it's, if a sacrament is a visible sign and seal of an invisible grace, well then what are the sacraments and, and how many of them are there? Well, in, in Catholic tradition, there remain seven sacraments. But the Protestants and the Protestant Reformation began to look at this and say, hey, we want to focus on what happens for our salvation, what God has given for our salvation, what Christ himself has instituted, what Christ himself has commanded of us in his earthly ministry. And so there come to us two things that he gave us, baptism and holy communion. You might refer to it as the Lord's Supper in the tradition you were brought up in. I don't know. But two sacraments in the Protestant tradition, baptism and communion. And in these two activities, God is present in a unique and special way, ministering to His saints, confirming and assuring the forgiveness of sins and our salvation. So it's real simple, right? A visible sign and seal of an invisible grace. And you see that played out, what Christ did for us, you see it played out in the sacraments. And so let's begin with baptism, just very briefly here. We said Christ instituted this. So we can look at Matthew 28 again. I think we looked at that in a previous conversation as well. Matthew 28, the disciples have gathered. Um, Jesus appears, and this is post-resurrection. Jesus appears, and they worshiped him, the text tells us, remember. And then Jesus says this, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, how do you make disciples? The first thing you do is you baptize them. You don't just dunk them in water, but you do so in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then, as well, along with that, you teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded us. And then we're, of course, given the promise that He is with us to the end of the age. And so Christ commands this. He compels us to this. But then there's a little deeper um, meaning, if you will, that we can pick up from Paul in Romans chapter 6. And Paul writes, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. So as a sacrament, when we are, we are washed um, in Christ, we are washed by the waters of baptism, and we are welcomed into the church. As our sins are washed away, we are welcomed into his church. Okay, gross oversimplification of baptism in the sacraments here. I apologize, but for time's sake, that's the first sacrament instituted by Christ. There is a second as well. That one is Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. Again, we'll stay with Matthew's Gospel a couple of chapters earlier in 26. Uh, They're celebrating the Passover, and Jesus takes the bread, He gives thanks, breaks it, and gives it to His disciples and says, Take and eat. This is my body. Then He took the cup, gave thanks, and offered to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so again, you get this picture of salvation. Baptism, the washing away of your sins, right? They're washed away, you're washed clean. And in the Lord's Supper, you get the reminder that Christ's body was broken for you. That His body was hung on on the cross. And that His body was hung there so His blood was shed for you and for me and for our salvation. And we partake of that. We partake of that Um, gift of God to remind us and to assure us and to seal in us um, His salvation, the gift of God to us. So again, the sacraments are providing this picture of salvation and we get to physically experience these wonderful gifts from God. So for St. John's, these are not ordinances. They aren't mere remembrances, though we do remember it's an active living remembrance as we live into them by faith. And so we do allow some freedom of conscience on these in accord with our ecumenically minded framework. But the theological party line at St. John is that these are sacred sacraments, God's gift to His needful children. So a simple way to look at it is like this. It's an an assurance of our faith. Yes, there's a mystery, something uh, mysterious, even mystic happening here. But in baptism, you are welcomed into the family of faith and marked with the Holy Spirit as we get the picture of our sins being washed away by the waters. Of course, we know we're saved by the blood of Christ, but this provides a beautiful picture of the cleansing we have by the blood of Christ. And then so, after we've been washed Then we make our way to the Lord's Supper, to the Holy Communion, to come to the table and to be nourished by Christ and the sacrifice that He made for us. Okay? So, a sacrament, visible sign and seal of an invisible grace. How many? Two. Baptism and communion. All right, so the final question then would be, is who gets to participate in all of this? Well, we do practice infant baptism at St. John's. Um, Since those who are raised in the church begin their journey with Christ in infancy, baptism is then offered to infants. It's not something we require. If a family uh, joins St. John's and they prefer to have their children wait for a believer's baptism, we celebrate that with them as well, but we also practice infant baptism. But then communion is for those who have been welcomed into the church. They have been baptized. And then in a time of, of mature faith, um, they then begin to receive the nourishment of the bread and cup when they can therefore reflect on that and affirm their faith for themselves. Now, we offer confirmation as a part of that process here at St. John's. And so 
we, um, again, would simply invite people to refrain from communion until about sixth grade, until they've had time to go through confirmation if they're choosing to do so, and then until at the end of their sixth grade year um, if they are not going through confirmation. Uh, most of our, our, our children here at St. John's do, but we know that all don't, and then certainly some come later in life, uh, to, to come later in life to be a part of our fellowship. So here's what we really want to affirm at the end of the day with all of this. Christians at all times in all places, have said these gifts from God are to be celebrated in our communities of faith. We might disagree on how to celebrate them, how to practice them. We might disagree on what they mean, but we all agree they are the gifts of God to us. And they celebrate uh, and signify and seal our salvation. So I hope that's not too confusing. I hope it makes some sense to you. Again, this is certainly not a deep dive, and I know some of my language is probably not as precise as it needs to be here. Um, but if you have further questions, obviously that's why we're here. You can certainly get in touch with me to explore this a little bit further. But until next time, uh, I trust that you will rest and rest well in the grace and truth of Christ and the assurance of salvation that you have through these gifts of baptism and holy communion.